growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Now, what does this mean for your life now? The return of Jesus Christ. For Christians, it's something to look forward to. From time to time, someone comes along who claims to know the exact date of Jesus' return. Obviously, no one's gotten it right yet. But is it possible to know when Jesus is coming back? As Pastor Clay will show us today, the short answer to that question is no. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. I'm Rick Freeman with a warm welcome to another Crosswalk. Jesus makes it clear in his teaching in Matthew 24 that we can't know when it's going to happen. But as you'll hear Pastor Clay explain, that's no excuse for not being ready now. That's really getting at the heart of what we're reading and studying and talking about today. Not knowing when is no excuse for not being ready now. In this series, we've heard Jesus talk about signs of the end times and signs of His coming back that indicate that we may be getting close to the end. As you'll hear today, though, the bigger question is, what are we doing to prepare for His coming? We're glad you've joined us for our series entitled 2012, The Days After Tomorrow. And I'll be back in just a little while to wrap things up. But now, here's Pastor Clay with today's exciting message. God is in control. God is bringing this world to a conclusion that will establish His kingdom on earth. We are doing this teaching time. If you happen to be with us for the first time, we're doing a series based on Jesus' teaching specifically on the end times. It's found in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. We haven't gotten to chapter 25 yet. But it's known as the Olivet Discourse. It's called that because the word discourse simply means a teaching. And it's the Olivet Discourse because Jesus sat down on the Mount of Olives just outside of the city of Jerusalem. He sat down and began to teach his disciples regarding the end times. And he did that as a result of some, uh, some statements they made that then prompted him to make a statement that then prompted them to ask a lot of questions about the end times. Or certainly they had a lot of implications. There may not have been that many questions, but there was a great amount of implications in what they were asking. And so Jesus sat down and he began to teach them about the end times. And what he had to say to his disciples then must have been shocking. Because it was forcing them to rethink their whole idea about how all of this was going to, to go down. If you know anything about the, the history of the nation of Israel, you know that during the time when Jesus was alive on earth, they were looking for the Messiah, whom his disciples believed that he was. Messiah means Savior, Deliverer, the Anointed One, the Chosen One. They believed that Jesus was that person, but they believed that his purpose in coming was that he was going to restore Israel to its to its glory days. It, I mean, they were going to be back on top again. They believed that the, that the Roman Empire was going to be thrown down and thrown out of Israel. And now Jesus is talking about 
Jerusalem being destroyed. He's talking about a time when the, the, the people of, of Jerusalem, the people of Israel will be running for their lives. Shocking. But I think it's also, if we're honest, can be pretty shocking to his disciples living today. Now, our perspective may be a little farther down the road than theirs was. And we can, we can begin to see some of the things that Jesus describes, we can begin to see some of those things coming into, into view even now, today. And, and that, that's exciting. I mentioned that last week, man. I, that, that's exciting to me. But it's still kind of hard to get our minds around. It's still kind of hard to, to think about all that's going to happen and, and when it's going to happen. We're going to look at another sign in a, in a few moments. That is basically the last sign that Jesus is going to give concerning his return in the end times. Jesus, in this teaching time, is pretty much done talking about what you can look for. He's talked about what you can expect. He's talked about what you can look for. The rest of Jesus' teaching is pretty much going to focus on now. What does this mean for your life now? I've said this before, but what Jesus talks about here in the great tribulation period, the end times, his return, that will only apply to the people who are alive here on earth at that time. It will only apply to the people living during the great tribulation period. And this may sound kind of weird, but even though what he's, the events he's teaching about will only apply to the people living during that time, that doesn't mean that there's not application for our lives here today right now. I've said this before as well. Jesus, whatever he's teaching on, as you read through the gospel accounts and all the various teaching times we have, when Jesus is teaching, he is always getting back to what it meant for his hearers then and what it means for his hearers now. That's what Jesus is always doing in his teaching. Some of you know, you've heard me say, it's, it's what I call the so what. The, the so what principle. So what that what I've just learned or what he's just taught. So what does that mean for my life? What, what am I supposed to do with that as a result of learning that? That is a question, ladies and gentlemen, that I believe every single one of us should ask after every sermon we hear, after every study that we do, after every passage that we read. And so to kind of modify my statement, it's the so what, now what principle. That's really what it is. So what does this mean for my life now, how do I apply it? What, have I, what do I do with what I've learned? It's the so what, now what principle. That's where Jesus is always going in his teaching. In other words, it's not designed to be an academic exercise. It's designed to be an application exercise. Let's see if we can do some exercise in here this morning. Matthew chapter 24, we're beginning in verse 36, and we're reading to the end of the chapter. And if I talk real fast and you listen real fast, we'll actually get to the end of the chapter today. Y'all okay? You all right? Warm enough? 
Good thanks. Not a thing I can do about it if you're not. (laughs) But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken. One will be left. Therefore, be on the alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour which he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, If you happen to have come to cross-culture for a while, you know that from time to time in my sermons or in a series I'm doing, I will, I will have in a message uh, something called a, a BP squared. BP squared simply stands for big picture biblical principle. Uh, it's an, kind of an overarching idea. Okay, this is what this passage, is. here's the overarching idea. There may be more stuff in there to talk about, but the overarching idea is, is what I call the BP squared, the big picture biblical principle. We got one of those today. And it looks like this. Not knowing when is no excuse for not being ready now. That's really getting at the heart of what we're reading and studying and talking about today. Not knowing when is no excuse for not being ready now. We're picking it up in verse 36 where Jesus makes it clear that no one is going to know exactly when his return will be. And I, you know, I don't think he could really make it any clearer than he does, but it's amazing to me how many people down through the years have announced and predicted the return of Jesus. Right? Yeah, any of y'all heard any of those? Remember, wasn't it just last year? Remember just last year the guy, uh, I think he's a TV preacher, I, I think out in California, but I'm not sure. Um, is there anybody here from California? No? No? Oh, oh, well, that's okay. Uh, California's a land of fruits and nuts anyway, so it's... <laughs> now, there's a guy in California that he predicted that Jesus was coming back in 2011. Do y'all remember that? I mean, it made the news that some of, some of his followers right here in Raleigh. I don't remember seeing this thing on the news where this, this lady paid to have her car wrapped 
with all these things that said, you know, the end is near, Jesus is coming back, get ready, which is not a bad message, but when you attach a date to it, you kind of putting it on the spot right there. And, and he predicted a date, Jesus was coming back on, on this date, it was sometime last spring, I can't remember. That, that, it, it didn't happen. I know, shocker, but it didn't happen. And so, so he recalculated. Did y'all, did y'all hear about that? He recalculated and he set a date for later in the year. And that date came and went as well. Listen, Jesus says no, nobody knows this. Nobody knows when this, this time will be. No person. By the way, I can't spend a lot of time on it. But in, in verse 36, um, when, when Jesus said that, that no one knows except the Father... He's not saying that God the Son was any less than God the Father. I want to make sure you understand that. Because some people have kind of taken that verse and said, oh, does that mean that God the Son is less? That's not what it's saying. All Jesus is saying is that in his humanity, when he put on flesh, when he became a man, when God the Son became a man, Jesus, that he voluntarily and temporarily emptied himself or set aside some of his divine attributes. I'm sorry, I just don't have time to spend a lot on that. If you have questions, please feel free to ask me. But all, all Jesus is really emphasizing here is that only God knows when this is going to take place. He's the only one that knows. And so, then, in verse 37, Jesus introduces what is pretty much the last sign that he's going to give about his return. When he says... For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. There's the sign. Just like the days of Noah, that's how it's going to be when I come. Well, what was it like in the days of Noah? Now, Jesus is going to answer that question himself in the verses further down, emphasizing the main point that he's making, and we'll look at that in a few moments. But before we do, we can look back at the book of Genesis and at other passages of Scripture, and we can draw some conclusions as to what it was like in the time of Noah. We can make some comparisons between the time of Noah and the end time and our time. And I can pretty much sum it up in three words. I won't, because I'm a preacher, but I could sum it up in three words. And the first one looks like this. Rebellion. In Genesis chapter 6, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And that, watch this, every intent of the thoughts of his heart, meaning man, was only evil continually. It was just a world of rebellion. And and listen, it's It's not like they didn't know what God's purposes and designs and desires for mankind was, even then. But there was this open rebellion against God. It was a characteristic of that time. Second, ridicule. This is kind of inferred in these verses, but ridicule of God, ridicule of God's messenger. Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark. For the salvation of his household. Watch this. By which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. He condemned the world because by his act of faith and his preaching, which we'll see in just a moment, he was proclaiming to the people what God was going to do. And they, they, didn't, they didn't want to have anything to do it. They didn't want to hear about it. 
And you know with that had to come derision and ridicule. That guy's crazy. Um, 2 Peter chapter 2. And did not mean God. God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness. There he is. Apparently the whole time, by the way, took Noah 120 years to build the ark. And both by his actions and I suspect verbally he is preaching as a witness of what God's expectation was and what the people needed to get ready for with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. It's just, just ridicule of the, of the message of God and the, and the man of God and, and, and of God himself. And then, of course, coming with that will always be rejection. 1 Peter 3.20 says, when the patience of God, and I, I'm so glad God is patient, aren't you? I mean, I mean, even today I'm glad because at times God really has to be patient with me. But when I was, when I was lost and, and just on my way to hell and didn't care about the things of God, and so many times I put, where I put myself in situations, I'm, I'm just, I'm glad God is patient. When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. For 120 years... He's building for 120 years. He's, he's preaching the righteousness of God. God was patient, but the people reject. We don't want to hear that stuff. Get that out of here. That was, that was Noah's time. That was, that was what it was like. All right. Now, how about, let's go to the other spectrum. Let's look at the end times. Well, you're going to see the same things. Rebellion. Second Timothy. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Paul writing to Timothy says that in the last days, that's, that's what you can expect. That's what it's going to look like. Sound familiar? Just... Just rebellion, ridicule. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, Christian, yada, yada, yada. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of the creation. What, what, Jesus is coming back. I don't see anything happening to you. Everything's just the same as it was. You're full of it. Jude, verses 17 through 19. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause division, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. It's just... Just ridicule of the things of God, mocking the things of God. And, of course, rejection. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. Watch this. And there are many who enter through it. Lots of people on that road. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Nah, nah, whole God thing, nah, whole... Uh, it's not my scene, Jesus, church, I'll, uh, that, that's not for me. Rejection. 
And then a verse that I believe I used last week, 1 Corinthians 1, 23. But we preach Christ crucified, which is that narrow road. To Jews, a stumbling block to Gentiles, foolishness. Wherever a person is in their eyes, nah. Listen, the reality is, here's, here's the point I make. The reality is, the days of Noah and the, the, the Noah's time and the end times sound a lot like our time, don't they? They sure sound a lot like our time. So I said that Jesus was going to kind of deal with this himself, uh, the statement that he made. That's going to be just like in the days of Noah. And basically, Jesus says that the people in Noah's day had two problems. Let's, let's read about it. Verse uh, 37, please, where we're picking it up. For the coming Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. And so will be the coming of the Son of Man. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Jesus says there's basically two problems with the people in days of Noah. Remember, he's already said that the way it is in days of Noah, that's just how it's going to be, the return of the Son of Man. Jesus said basically there's two problems for the people in the days of Noah. To begin with, they were too involved in their own lives. I mean, they're, they're living life, right? They're, they're living life. And, and the indication of the text is not necessarily that it's, you know, drunken, riotous living. No doubt that went on. But, but this, just, this reference to they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage is, is just say they're, they're just living their lives. They're just doing life. They're, they're just going through the stuff of life and experiencing all that, that life has to do and life to give. And they had no time. No desire for, for the things of God or anything that God might have for them. They don't know. We're, we're, just, we're just too busy living our life. We've got all that stuff to do. Somebody might say, well, well life is busy. There is lots to do in life. There, there's bills to pay. There's, there's retirement to try and save for. There's, there's games to go to. There's vacations to plan. There's jobs to, to take care of. There's families to raise, I mean, that, that, that's just life, right? No, that's not life. That may be a part of life, but that's not life. That's like saying that the, that the hamster's purpose in the cage is to get on that stupid wheel and just spin around. The wheel may have purpose, but it's not the purpose. You and I were created for a loving laughing, living, lasting relationship with God. And when life becomes so busy that that purpose gets lost somewhere in there, we're too busy. There's too much living going on and we're missing the real purpose of life. That's why Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, maybe it's a passage that you're very familiar with. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. (laughs) Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? Do you hear what he's saying here, folks? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. You, know, you hear what you, Jesus said? What are you doing? 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry. Now listen, let me stop right here. He's not saying don't take responsibility. He's not saying just sit down and say, okay, God's going to provide all my needs. I don't have to get a job. That's not what he's saying. He said, don't worry about this. Don't get consumed with those things. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, just meaning those that are not following God, they run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. There it is. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. There it is. That's, that's what it's about. Some of you know that I, I, have, uh, I have quite a few favorite sayings, right? You've heard me. That's, my, that's one of my favorite sayings. Someday we should make a uh, top 10 list, Clay's favorite sayings. I've got a new one. i got a new one for you folks, and it looks like this. When living becomes the focus of life, our life is out of focus. When living, just doing life, the stuff of life, when that is our focus, our life is out of focus. Listen, slow down. Step back. Take a look at your life and ask yourself this question. Am I so busy in my life? Now listen, are you thinking about this? Are you asking yourself this question? Am I so busy in my life? May not be bad. I'm not, I'm not, you know, running around doing this and that and all this, you know, evil stuff. But are you so busy in life that you may possibly be missing the actual purpose of life? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his righteous ways. Live according to his will for your life. And everything else will take care of itself. I said they they had two problems. One, uh, they were too wrapped up in, in just their own living. Second problem looks like this. They ignored the warnings. They were too involved in their own lives and they ignored the warnings. Look at verse 39. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. And they did not understand? And they did not understand? Really? There's a guy down the street with a giant boat in his backyard. For 120 years, they're being woke up every morning to pounding hammers. For 120 years. He's preaching. Oh, but you know what? It was, prob- it, was probably Noah's- it was probably Noah's fault. He probably just wasn't direct enough with this message. No, I can just, uh, it probably was. Noah's probably saying something like, repent, it's going to rain. Doesn't have the same force as the end is near. Now listen, it wasn't Noah's fault and it certainly wasn't God's fault. Jesus said they didn't understand Until the flood came, he didn't say they couldn't understand. The truth is, they ignored the warnings that were all over the place. For 120 years that were in front of them, that God's judgment was coming. And in all of that time, listen, do you think that boat was as big as it was just so the animals could fit in there? I don't. I know God is sovereign. I know God knows what's going to happen. But I'm telling you, at any point, if just one person says, Noah, I, you know, I, I don't see any clouds, but man, I, I, think, I think you're right. 
I, I need to repent of my sin. I, I need to come to God. And there'd have been plenty of room on that boat. But they didn't understand until the flood came. It's pretty much the same as people today. They just ignore it. Romans chapter 1 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. It's not like this is a surprise. God's been saying this from, from day one, from creation. The, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, watch this, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. That was the problem for Noah's day. Jesus says that will be the problem for men in the end days. And if we look at our life, if we look at the world around us today, we can see striking similarities. I'm not telling you when the end will be. Jesus makes that clear. No one can know the time that that will be. But he gives us indicators. He gives us signs. He points at things and says, this is what you can look for. When you begin to see those things, you better know that the end is drawing near. I said we'd get through it all. We're not going to quite get through it all. I'll pick it up next week. But I want to ask this question. Based on what Jesus says, based on this comparison between the times of Noah and the times today, based on his call to you and to me to, to, to look at our own lives and see where we are and see if the busyness of our lives is overshadowing the, the, the calling of our life of this relationship with God and this, this building of the kingdom of God. If my life, listen, it, it, if we, it, just, it just takes getting honest. Just sit, getting honest and looking at my own life and where I am and saying, based on that, let me ask you this question. We'll close. Are you ready? Now, if I'm not mistaken, that's a question I've already asked a couple different times in this series, and I'm pretty sure that's not the last time you're going to hear it. Are you ready? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or you're not even sure what that means, are you ready? Are you ready for when the end comes? Are you ready for a relationship with Him? Are you ready to have your sins forgiven? Be adopted into the family of God and have the promise of heaven? I'm telling you, it's yours for the asking. Just like in the days of Noah, all they had to do was say, God, you're God. I'm, I'm not God, and I need you in my life. Are you ready? Thanks, Pastor, for that timely reminder of the importance of being ready now. In the days of Noah, they were too busy living their lives to heed the warnings. Certainly, that's a concern for our time as well. People are so busy that they're missing the warnings that are all around us. Even followers of Jesus can get caught up in the things of life and miss what really matters. Jesus is coming back. As Pastor Clay asks today, are you ready? We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. 
Cross-Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.